This is Dore Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 121. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Good people, what is going on? DeRay Olalaye here from Before the Millions. And I'm super excited to welcome you to the short-term corporate housing rental master class. Guys, this episode is featuring the landlord scientist, Mr. Al Williamson. And Al has been investing for quite some time now. Again, he's known as the landlord scientist. Through Al's investing journey, he started creating passive income through rentals. And he did this time and time again, up until the point to where he purchased an eight-unit apartment complex and created enough side income to dramatically increase his cash flow and ultimately retire from his corporate day job. Since then, he's completely revamped his strategy. Al, the landlord scientist, now focuses on his best strategy to date, which is short-term rentals and corporate housing. So if you've been considering short-term rentals, if you've been thinking about Airbnbs, but you're worried, you're not sure if it's the right thing, you don't have a direction, you don't know who to turn to, you don't know what you need to know, this episode is for you. Now, this is probably the longest, if not one of the longest podcast episodes ever on the Before the Millions podcast. So stay tuned, strap up, and we're going to get right into the mean potatoes. But just to give you guys a quick overview. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be an offer at the end of the show. So if you stick around to the very end, you're going to get a special offer. So make sure you stick around for that. But what we're going to discuss on today's show are some creative problem-solving techniques that you can use for your real estate portfolio today. And Al pulls some really, really creative things that you may not have thought to apply to your property. But once you hear this episode, you're going to be like, hmm, I'm going to go try that now. And you literally can go save a couple hundred bucks today if you go ahead and implement some of the things that Al and I discuss on the show. We're going to talk about some creative ways to increase your property's income. We're going to talk about the inception of Airbnb and where it came from. We're going to talk about short-term rentals versus Airbnb and why you need to know that there's a difference. We're going to talk about how to get started with short-term rentals and corporate housing. We're going to talk about the importance of a clueless mentor. Now, it sounds weird now, but once we tell you why your mentor needs to be clueless about your business, it'll make a whole lot more sense to you. We're going to talk about the benefits of rental arbitrage. Again, not actually going out to purchase a property and then renting it out, but renting a property and then using the spread between what you're making and what you're paying the owner as your profit. We're going to talk about the benefits of that. We're going to talk about a secret way around the laws and regulations that many short-term housing investors host 
property managers are having frustrations with. We're going to talk about some secret ways around that, actually one in particular secret way, and has a lot to do with how long your tenant or your guest is occupying the property. We're going to talk about some creative ways to utilize virtual assistants and some super creative ways to utilize your cleaning crews to create a automated business. I mean, just some crazy phenomenal stuff that we talk about on today's episode. We're also going to talk about how to pay yourself in your business and how to pay yourself as an S-Corp. Guys, this is literally a masterclass on short-term rental. So if you haven't yet thought about this as a possible avenue, or if you've been thinking about this for a while, if you know somebody who just started or is thinking about getting started or has been at this business for a while and they need some of these intangibles, go ahead and share this episode with them now and they will thank you for it. I promise you. Guys, this is a whole lot of value. And you guys know this is exactly what I'm about when I bring guests on the show, getting you guys as much value as possible. So make sure you're subscribed. Okay. So without any further ado, guys, let's go ahead and get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Mr. Al Williamson, how's it going today? All right. Hey, thank you so much, Jeray. I appreciate you sharing me with your audience. I've been checking out your podcast. You're doing a masterful job. You're giving out some great value. So it is an absolute honor to be yeah. on here. I definitely appreciate the kind words. I'm excited to have you on here. You know, the Airbnb space is something that I think a lot of people are curious about. So I think that we're going to answer a lot of questions for a lot of listeners. And we're going to help the listeners kind of decipher if this is something that they should be interested in, if it's something that they're able to even do, how to get started, when to get started, who to get started with, all that good stuff. We're going to cover all that on today's show. But Al, let's kind of just take it back in the time machine. Let's get to know you really quick. Let's figure out how you became the landlord scientist. Like, Take us back before 1996, before you started investing. Who was Al and what were you doing in your professional journey and what kind of changed for you over time? No, I was a civil engineer, went through all the schooling. I was groomed to be an employee but I knew I wasn't. <laughs> so I, like, I remember in fifth grade writing down Williamson Inc. I didn't know what that meant. I just know I wanted to write that on my, the papers I was turning in for my homework. I was thinking about my own business way back then. So I did everything you could do to end up being a, um, a quote unquote good employee, a master's degree and all, and ended up consulting and ended up getting laid off. <laughs> so. Sounds <laughs> Three years into I'm like, what? All this for that? You know, to, to constantly feel like I was, there was no loyalty, there was no security that my father had as a, a federal worker. You know, he'd been retired for, since when he was 55 with a full plush retirement. They don't have those anymore. Yep. But uh, so that's what I was doing. I was engineering and then knowing that there was more for me all okay. along. Okay, so so you went down the, the typical track that I know many of us have gone down, many of us are going down, and many of us listening may go down here in the near future. <laughs> now, I understand what about that track didn't appease you, but what did you think were your options at the time? Well, my options was to get better and become my, my boss's replacement. I didn't like his life. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I didn't like all that. I wasn't able to do the things that I was best at. So that was a problem. The problem is I, I'm not good at repetitive things. And I'm not, I'm one of those people that help other people get A's on their exams. And I get a B or a C plus myself. Mm. So I am not a test taker. I am not an admin type of person. I'm the person that when every, there's a million dollar problem, 
no one knows what to do. That's the only time I shined. I'm like, okay, I can figure this out because I'm a more of a creative problem solver than I am a, a regular follow the design, you know, design um, tables. I can't do that. So that was the only time, you know, when saving projects, sometimes it could be multiple million dollar projects with different ideas and not being a standout performer um, when, when things were going well. Is, so I'm like, okay, that's how it turned out to, if I'm doing landlord science, if I'm always doing, if I'm always boldly going where no one's gone before, then that's where I should package my, myself. That's what I enjoy. And if I could build a business around creative problem solving, then I would have an ideal life. Was there a specific instance in your life or an exact time, an exact, an exact story that you remember that got you started investing in 1996? Yeah, there was. I was on my way to getting married and I was at a church picnic and an older gentleman pulled me aside. He said, you should consider buying a duplex instead of a single family home. And I was thinking about that. And he was telling me about the success he was having as, a, as an investor, just doing duplexes. So I went to the library. I went to the aisle for real estate and landlording. And I just started one in and just read all the books all the way across. Hmm. And, and started seeing this reoccurring theme, started seeing the numbers, the algebra, the whole idea of forced appreciation, something you can do with uh, commercial properties. If you can improve the net operating income, it has a geometrically beneficial <laughs> effect on the value of the property. And I'm like, I love that. That's just, that's high leveraged. I could create something, use my creative problem solving right at that point. So I love that. And so similar to yourself, I started with a threeplex and my new bride into one of the smallest units in there. <laughs> so that is what happened. And it was, it was uh, bad before it got better with, the, <laughs> with that. But that thing ended up quadrupling on us in value. Of course, we, we were super smart when it quadrupled on us. We, <laughs> we just got into an area that was undergoing a neighborhood improvement. You know, they had city incentives to help people, to help the neighborhood improve, for businesses to clean themselves up. We were in that zone. And we just so happened to got wind of it, and it quadrupled on us. So that's how it started. And, and we, we said, let's do it again. And we started in an area that needed help. It was an inner city area. And for those who can't see me, I'm an African-American male. So I figured I would have even more of an advantage if I could go and exercise uh, leadership and advocate for the neighborhood and hold the biggest apartment building that I could afford. Mm -hmm. So that was my strategy. I was trying to line everything up so that it worked for me and in an area that had a few political contacts. So I was trying to get myself into an area where I had an unfair advantage and where I could use my genius zone or the things that I was really good at, which is creative problem solving. So that's a process of coming to learn who I was and what I was good at and kind of accepting that I wasn't good at some things and not to try to make the things that I was maybe a, on a scale of one to 10, I might be a three, trying to make those a four. Instead, just focus on whatever I was at eight, try to make it a nine or 10. So this process of self-learning. Did you have the wherewithal to know that your zone of genius was creative problem solving at the time? Or was it something that you figured out over time through tests or through mentors? And whether or not you did, what do you suggest for somebody who's looking to figure out their zone of genius? What do you suggest they do to figure that out? You know, I figured it out on my own once I discovered there was a work called creative problem solving and I could 
find a book on it. And then I ran into um, What's an author. Well, there's many books on creative problem solving. One that a, a guy who's very influential in my life, his name was Edward DeBono. That's a small D E capital B O N O. Edward DeBono. He did a lot of, of writing on how the brain thinks and how we use lateral thinking and some water logic and he, different thinking hats that you put on to, to uh, see a problem from different perspectives, all kinds of tools, which is kind of the father of decision science, you know, those types of things that you can take yourself through, such like a structure of brainstorming so that you could, so that the time you spend thinking, you can harvest your thoughts and actually progress. Mm. So I love that thinking. I love that ability. And that resonated with me right away. And I discovered him freshman year in college. Was there, was there a specific, I don't know if I caught it. I know you said he wrote a couple, but was there a specific, yeah. what you're talking about? Well, there's something called Six Thinking Hats, which is very good. He also wrote a book called Lateral Thinking. And one of my favorites, which has been really instrumental to me, is called Water Logic. And that's about understanding your perceptions and drawing them out. So you can basically, you can Tony Robbins yourself. You can fix your thinking or break yourself out of a habit quickly because you can see your false perceptions and then re reroute it. Tell me how a tool like this or, you know, having this strategy, having this tool in your arsenal, how this can help you with, with real estate investing. Tell me how just water logic in itself, like using that as a tool or as a mechanism, as you kind of think through your thoughts and process different ideas, how you can, how this relates to real estate. So let's go back to the, the six thinking hats. So one, one of them, you know, it just encourages you to look at a different perspective. So I used that when I was writing my book, 40 Ways to Increase the Net Income of Your Rental Property. I would say, hey, your house is also a tripod for an antenna. You know, the property outside of your house can be monetized. Let's monetize the lawn. Let's monetize the parking space. Let's monetize you know, your property is also an outdoor billboard. Mm -hmm. What's the traffic count? You know, you can also put a bench and sell advertising. You can put storage on your unit. You can coordinate your, if everyone on your block needs a certain service, you can coordinate that and eliminate the cost for yourself in exchange. So there's all kinds of ways you can reduce your expenses and increase your income with very little money. And of course, that improves your net operating income. And getting back to uh, dramatically improves the value of your property. So essentially, especially as a landlord, you are paid to take care of the neighborhood and you every month you're paid to take care of advocate for that neighborhood and you're paid to figure out how to add more value than you capture to that neighborhood. Mm, I love that. That is beautiful illustration that you kind of drew out for us there. And then you talk about, so you have, so you, you came out with a book and it sounds like you have these, these kind of want to call them quirks, but maybe you can find a better word to replace it with, but you have these <laughs> little things to where you can cut costs, you can increase revenue. And there are things that the typical investor or landlord wouldn't generally just think of as one of the first few things they can, they can use to accentuate the property. You just named a few, but is there a couple more that you can kind of think of off the top of your head? Cause that was really fascinating. Yeah. Let's talk about plumbing. There's now on the market, there's environmentally friendly drain openers that you can put down like a eco-friendly Drano. And it's very inexpensive. Sometimes you can get three treatments for 10 bucks or 11 bucks at Home Depot. There's one product called Green Gobbler. So instead of waiting on a clock, just put them, add them once a month or, or make them available for your tenants in abundance. Anytime they see slowdown, they just go grab the product 
or at least provide it for them. And since it's environmentally friendly and, and non-toxic, you don't have to worry about them wearing gloves or all that type of thing. And now for 10 bucks or at most 30 bucks a, a year, if you do it once a month, because we're now being proactive on our, I call it our, the digestive tract of our buildings. And it's always better to handle that with medicine than it is to get scoped, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, love that. I love that. Not only do you save the plumber cost, but you save the replacement parts because you're always underneath the sink and something breaks or something cracks or you have to go get a massage afterwards because you're kind of cranking your neck. Or, yep. <laughs> yep. And of course, you have to go send someone to the place to diagnose that cost to have them pack up the cost, clean up cost. So this simply adding a biologically friendly, environmentally friendly drain opener, have your tenant just do that on the first of the month. If you have short-term rentals, you just do it every turnover, prevents literally hundreds of dollars <laughs> for everybody. Some people have tree roots that grow into their sewer line. Nearly everyone does. So just adding that copper agent deters that and prevents you having to get a rooter treatment. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, and this is one of those, again, I like to call them quirks, but you can tell why you're so successful. And you think about the way your mind works. And I kind of just want to open it up because, it's, again, it's fascinating. Some of these books I'm definitely going to check out and I recommend that, that the listeners do as well. And that first property, were you and your fiance, were you living for free? So she was my wife at the time, and we had to come out of pocket a little bit, but not much at all, until we stayed there five years. At the third year, we, t we toggled over to where we were breaking even and then making money. But what happened was that the value of the property, the property became in demand, and that's what dramatically... So it was three units. The value of the property is not based on the cash flow. It's like a single family home. It's not based on the cash flow. So, so many people wanted it. That's what really happened for us. So many people wanted it, that it made it so valuable. And all along, I was putting money back into the maintenance of the property. And I was getting into the, being this old house because it was, it was a Victorian. So I was sprucing it up and I wanted things to look nice. So I was spending more money than I brought in, of course. And I was coming out of pocket to make everything nice and something that I was proud of. I have this philosophy, and I bet you do too is that your real estate is a physical representation of the owner. So, so it's something business. that's- has Same a, with your business. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's a bunch of deferred maintenance. That says a lot about the owner. Yep. And I just can't, it doesn't put me in a place of alignment, what I believe spiritually, my personality, and how I feel about offering a, a, a product to someone else to live in. This guy be, can't be busted. Yep. <laughs> this guy, no, I totally get that. You know, I say 100% of everything has to work 100% of the time. Yeah. That's my standard. So walk me up until the point to where you decide or you start hearing about Airbnbs and you start hearing about Home Away and you start hearing about some of these more shorter term rental strategies. Walk me up until that point and kind of talk about maybe your first foyer into, into that world. So I was writing the book, 40 Ways to Increase the Net Income. It's supposed to be a 50 Ways to increase the net income in your property. So that was back in 2011. And at the same time, I was working a nine to five. So, so really quick, before we get to that book, so I just want to cover in, in maybe about 30 seconds, 2001, because you bought this first property in 96 and you know you kept that part about five years later is when I think you, you guys sold it. We did a 1031 exchange, yeah. 1031 exchange. So, so just walk me really quick from 2001 to 2011, because I know that's a 10 year period to where you not only have the dot-com bubble, but you have the real estate bubble. And again, we don't have to cover this in detail, but 30 seconds, what happened during okay. this? You're still investing. Yeah, yeah. 
and then we could keep going. So we moved out of that fiveplex and I mean the threeplex and we started, we rented out our small unit and we bought a house and that thing doubled on us in, in a couple of years. But at the same time, we purchased an eight unit building in inner city neighborhood. We bought where the Crips were hanging out. There was a gang headquarters. We had a couple prostitutes in there as well. And there was always, it was the source of gunfire at during all the time. It was a, it was a big drag on the neighborhood. It was, it was that piece of cargo that was causing the whole ship to ride low in the water. Mm-hmm. So we purchased that and said, we're going to help this neighborhood get back on its feet. You know, because the location of it was right next to the prestigious neighborhood. Of course, you know how that is. They're separated by one block or something, a good neighborhood and a bad neighborhood. And it was right in the right next for, to for, the um, Alpha, con- Alpha context. What city and state are you in? That's in Sacramento, California. Okay. Okay. This is the North Oak Park area. And the, the medical center was just a mile away. One of the biggest employers in Sacramento was just a mile away. But this neighborhood had a stigma on it, you know? So just like, this is like, you know, when Britney Spears or anyone goes through their, their freakout stage where they have, they're just wild. You know, they have a PR agent take them through this rebuilding their public persona. So you have to have someone put out a lot of good news about you. First, you got to straighten yourself up. Got to go to recovery, get straight. And then you got to let the world know that you went to recovery and now you're doing great, you know, so that they can form a new decision about you. Because you know how that is, DeRay. People don't want to change their mind, right? They want to make a new decision. So you got to start getting that information out before you can attract jobs. And when you start doing all those things, and you are a, a property owner, you're just increasing your rents all along. So that's why I'm back to where I said, landlords are paid to advocate for their neighborhoods. And oftentimes they don't. They, especially inner city landlords, are well, well paid to make sure litter stays off the ground and, and graffiti gets cleaned up right away. So yeah. it takes energy. But we're paid to do it, and we receive all the benefits for doing that. And we even end up on, you'll get news coverage as a landlord, inner-city landlord, just because you're trying to get the neighborhood going, because they're so desperate for it to happen. And in fact, you're the most effective person to change a neighborhood for, to attract honorable people. In doing so, you know, it could be the same income class, but there's people that are in a certain income class that just don't want to be around drug dealing. Another quick side tangent. How does, how does the news, news coverage come about? Well, because I'm taking it through his PR campaign and, and I'm throwing block parties once a month, part of the National Night Out, and, and doing all those things to bring order to the community. Are we just naturally calling some of these providers and telling them, hey, we're throwing a block party. We'd love for you guys to cover this. Oh, absolutely. Everyone has, um, yep. Yep. Awesome. You tap into awesome. someone else's has list of uh, people you can do PR announcements for. Awesome. awesome. There's a nugget, guys. So, so I just wanted to, wanted to do that quick side tangent. Okay. Yeah. I was, it looks like I'm going to add something to that. You know, if they'll cover a cat who fell into a hole, getting that out, then they'll cover. They're looking for good news stories that blend in with, with all the craziness that's going on. So there's an ongoing thirst every day of needing a, a good news story. I love it. I love it. That's, that's great, great, great free publicity, free PR. So kind of wrap up that 10-year segment and tell us what happened over the next few years. And let's, let's get into some Airbnb uh, investing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the neighborhood went into its catalyst stage. Where it went through that long lag stage where the prices didn't change. And then they was rediscovered after enough good information got out. 
and the purchase property I purchased for 340 is now like a 1.3 and eight units alone was able to replace my engineering income. So I could say sayonara. So that's where it put me in, put me right here. So I'm the high point in my career is talking to you now. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I love it. So this is kind of what transpired over over the, the next 10 years. And by, by 2011, you felt as though you had enough skin in the game. You had enough knowing you, you that you were able to help other people achieve the same thing that you've done, right? Kind of help them get into real estate. And, and it sounds like even, even save money in the process because you're putting out educational pieces to help them through that process to help them cut costs so at this point is is that kind of your first foray into the educational space or into the teaching what you're learning uh was right. in 2011 that started 2011 with the with the blog i was overseeing a project at alcatraz the famous prison which is now a state park federal park yeah. we are putting solar panels on it to make the whole island work like a prius where I use the solar panels to charge batteries and then the whole island works off of the battery and this was part of the, the stimulus project because we were in a recession. We were trying to get out of the recession. So it was, it was that. So I was overseeing that project. And I had, had time to um, think about things uh, as I was in San Francisco. So that was Airbnb, which just kind of hockey sticking in popularity at the time. Because it started in 2007. It really started going 2008 is when it, it started helping people with the John McCain, Barack Obama campaigns where people... At conventions couldn't find a place to stay so airbnb was there to kind of work that out mm. so between so airbnb was getting their legs underneath them and kind of working out systems in san francisco that's where their origins were and i happened to be in san francisco at the same time with mm. with um, a per diem from the government so i could stay wherever i wanted to stay you, what do you call that divine intervention yes <laughs> that's what you call it so it just so happened that uh, the place I was staying, the project got extended and I had given my notice to move out. And then I said, can I have my place back? They said, no, you can't because we booked it out. So there I was in need of a short-term housing and Airbnb becoming more popular and me having plenty of money to spend for housing. So this Airbnb thing was a way I could put more money in my own pocket because I didn't have to spend my whole housing allowance. So I Airbnb for three months all over San Francisco area, uh, staying a week at a time and learning about the culture and what I liked. And, and of course I was thinking, well, this could, how can make this more profitable for the, for the host? It started back then. That is amazing. And what happened with me and what I think happens in a typical corporate culture or structure is that you often get these stipends or you get a, a, a maximum allowance or you get a certain amount that you should have spent on hotels and travel and things like that. Something along those lines. So is that what you're referring to when you're like, hey, like I have the option to save all this money and actually pocket this money while I'm living really cheaply? Absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's awesome. That is awesome. Okay, perfect. So this kind of got your, your wheels turning. You're like, hmm, this is interesting. I'm already a real estate investor, but this kind of changes the game for, for everyone. What was your next step? What, was it while you were during your stay at these locations to where you were having some of these ideas? Or was it when, once you got back home, you kind of reflected back on your experience? You're like, hmm, this is something I can do. Like, when was the impetus of you thinking that this is a business that you should be pursuing? So part of creative problem solving is forgetting about ideas so you can go get the next one. So mm -hmm. this was one of my 40 ways that it ended up in my book. So I had to forget about it and go chase the next one. 
And also at the time, it was really more like bed and breakfasty. That the people would bring you cookies and they carry your luggage. And there's high service at the time. Now, 2015, 2016 came, and so we'll back up because of the high service thing. I said, you know, I don't want to do that at my rental properties because I don't want to be there and carry luggage for people and, and meet them. But in 2015, 2016 came is when the Airbnb came up with a business travel ready category where they said, this category will give you this badge if a business traveler can come there and they have the whole place to themselves. So when that happened, you know, you just did it. I could see it on your face. That's when the bell went off. It's like, okay, I'm going to set aside one of these units in my eight unit apartment complex and dedicate it just to this and run an experiment just on this. Because remember, I was, I was setting myself up to the test as a landlord scientist. I said, I'm going to test things out. Mm. So, so that's what happened. When that happened, and uh, I started testing out different operating modes inside the business travel ready category, is how I discovered the extended stay version of Airbnb. Because, you know, you have hotels, right? And then you have extended stay hotels. So it's even two diversions. And then you have this whole spectrum of luxury. You have, you have super luxurious places and then you have motel six (laughs) so you got the spectrum of of long-term stays which i liked seeing like that made i was less work better net income for me and then you have different levels of luxury so i pinned up a mid-level luxury i could add on some services and that started to gush cash flow for me so just let's put this in context with that first experiment. You had the eight unit. You decided, hey, let me just try this on one of my units. And this unit, the, uh, how much was that unit bringing in before? And I then- it was renting for eight fifty. There's a two bed, one bath, eight fifty, back in two thousand fifteen. Okay. And then, how did you change up the model? And then, what did it start producing after you changed up the model? So, put some furnishings in it. So just some basic furnishings in it in the two bedroom. And I was renting it traditionally, you know, a a week at a time type of thing. And it was a lot of work. Mm. And then I realized I needed additional insurance because I was doing shorter term stays. My landlord insurance policy didn't do that. And they were starting to talk about taxes at the time. They're now in place, lodging taxes. And then there's always something buffering in my mind because I was always kind of concerned about something moving in. Did it get clean? I got to do my QC punch list. So after I did three stays in one month, I felt like I had gone through finals. You know, you're just like, you did well, but you're just kind of just tapped, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is not sustainable. You know, I have to drive all the way over here to check this stuff out. Let me just do one month at a time. Let me see if I can find someone who will just stay a month at a time. That way I'm just a regular month-to-month landlord, okay? Mm -hmm. That's been around since baby Jesus, Mm month-to-month landlording. But I'm feeling it. How do I feel the month to month is through online travel agencies. Mm. So that started going well. I said, I'm making about the same net on a net income basis. And when you pay yourself for your time, which a lot of hosts do not do and refuse to even consider paying themselves for all the time it takes them to to keep their business going. So I realized I'm making nearly the same net income, which is well above, it's about $1,600, $1,625, which is well above $850. So I'm like, this really makes a lot of sense to do month to month. Of course, me, I'm like, oh, it's got to optimize that. <laughs> so I started doing, aiming for three months and, you know, the seven months and started getting those hits. Really? If, seven months? If you're on a, if you're on an assignment, business assignment, Say, say you're opening yep. 
You're a project manager. We went on those assignments all the time, so I get it. See? I don't need to say anymore, right? Yeah. So your option are is a, a, is a hotel with a two burners, mini fridge, and no telling what's going on next door to you. And you're next to a Denny's and a, or being embedded into a community where you have your own place, your own washer and dryer right there and saving money. Mm. It's just yeah. no competition, right? I love that. I love that. So that's, that's why I came up with the extended stay version. And that has allowed me to... That's your motto to this day? The extended it is. Stay version? Extended gotcha. stay, short-term rentals where you don't even, you cut Airbnb out of the picture. The way I feel about it now is wow. that I tell people, <laughs> I tell people, the Airbnb is, is so well-designed, is so good, is artificial intelligence, is marketing, so good that you can use it as your backup plan. Hmm. If you can't find someone doing straight corporate housing, a business-to-business relationship, then you can always fall back onto Airbnb. Yeah. But it's the minimum wage job into the corporate housing world. Gotcha. It's, the minimum, it's the minimum that you should be. Too often, well, they're making, they can make a lot of money there, but they just stay there. So let me ask you this, is corporate housing, is that your niche? That's your sweet spot? That's, that's my sweet spot. That's, that's out of the 40 ways that seem to be the most. So I did exhaustive research. <laughs> 40 ways is a lot. Oh, yeah. And doing shorter term stays, first of all, opens up the door for a lot more ancillary income, a lot more income streams. What's but the then, shortest stay that you do? Right now is two months. Two months. Gotcha. Yes. Otherwise, it's not worth my time. There's too many people coming that need to stay longer than that. Medical professionals, for example, they're out, their minimum contracts are three months, 13 weeks. Yep. But there's lots of other, like there's electrical linemen who come, their service electrical lines, they stay for six months. And IT and you know these professions like clockwork. I mean, you, so do you, are you connected? Just, just use one of those niches, one of those groups, for instance. How are you plugged into the travel nurse network? So the way was the medical centers down the street from me, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I got in the neighborhood in the first place, but they would never come to me because the neighborhood had that reputation and also had a bunch of craziness going on. That's, you know, so building relationships with them, it taught me to eventually build relationships with online Facebook groups. And, and there's also different websites, you know, specific things for every industry. Every industry has its own bulletin board. It could be online. And, yep. and that's what I, that's what I study and, and help my, my clients get into that part of the marketing because I don't need to tell you, I preach to the choir, but I'll say it, that, that is everything's just a marketing business. Yep. If you can market, you can keep your place filled with people who are thrilled to save money <laughs> by staying at your place. So it puts it into a, you know, a big win-win and you got delighted people all the way around and that don't take up a lot of your time. Now, let me back you up to one critical point. Why? So I break this short-term rental thing. Some people just call it Airbnb, but I always spank people for saying that because that squashes your creativity once you use that title. Yep. So let's call it short-term rental provider. But that, that goes to show the marketing of Airbnb, right? I mean, you think yeah. about, you think about right. the night and that, that immediately brought to, to mind the 90s, right? And in the 90s, you wouldn't ever tell somebody, hey, go print this for me or go copy this for me. What would you say? Hey, go Xerox this for me. That's right. That's marketing one-on-one, but you're right. We need to, we definitely need to coin it short-term rentals because there is a ton of different, I mean, there's a ton of other businesses that, that have this model. So yeah. Right. Well, to put it in perspective, visual perspective, I say the world of this planet of Airbnb, which is great. They're doing exactly what I would be doing in their shoes, but that's about the size of, of say a basketball, but the real opportunity is the size of the sun. Yeah. 
Yeah. And people stay on the basketball on that planet, but there's a whole universe of, of folks, and I, and I can go on and on about, the, about this, but for example, if you went to an extended stay, let me just share this. If you went to your local extended stay there in Dallas, and you looked at the people coming in and out of the door, they're from all walks of life, all different countries. For all different reasons, they, they need stays of 18 days and longer. And if you're sitting in, in an extended stay, if you can touch one in your community, that means that thing costs $22 million because yeah. they did the marketing research and they know that people wanting 18 days and longer needed a place to stay. That's why that's the manifestation of someone spending $200,000 on marketing research to spend two, $22 million plus to build 200, 300 rooms <laughs> of it. So, so that's the physical evidence of what I'm sharing with you. There you go. And it's just a matter of putting the spotlight and knowing how to beat those guys at their own game since they did the marketing research for us. So that's, that's what I coach people on. So in, in 2011, you started the blog, correct? Right. So between 2011 and in 2015, jumping into Airbnb, what did your business look like from the educational standpoint of things? You started a blog in, in, in 2011, and I could just imagine like at that time, you probably didn't have a whole lot of traction, but you kept going. So walk me through some of the phases of your, your online presence or maybe okay. your business through those four or five years. So I started blogging and then I started uh, guest blogging to get attention. So it was bigger pockets and things like that and getting some positive reinforcement that creative problem solving or creativity was just not applied to the landlord industry. If you wanted to make more money as a landlord, you increased your rents. And I'm like, well, that's just one lever. Now it's like, this is one out of 40. I'm just building it all out for you, okay. you know, slash creating, helping your, you know, I, was, I went on a long tangent on helping your tenants save money and sharing in some of that savings is another way to increase your income. Yep. So anyway, there's many different flavors. I'll take over the whole show. I'll hijack the whole show on, on I that. It. I love it. <laughs> so, but, but anyway, I started, I started saying, okay, let me spell these things out. Let me do different experiments because we're all trying to increase the net operating income. Because what I found when I realized when I'm, my wife is saying, well, why don't we have money to go to on vacation? We have all these rentals. And I have to come out and say, well, our rentals are cost. We have to come out of pocket to pay for our upkeep of our rentals because the maintenance is so. And then I, I get other landlords in conferences and I get them to themselves. I say, is this happening to you? And they're like, yes, my rentals are barely breaking even mm. when you consider the maintenance to it. It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. But no one, you know, you, that doesn't sell. That's not late night television. We don't yep. talk about the, the real truth of the matter. And it came down to where I, you need, uh, this, during this time, as you're talking about my online education, someone needs to tell the truth and, or address this. Someone needs to address this and find other ways, other income streams. And like I told you, I can't catch my own typos and I always have a mistake in my math exam, but I can do create problem solving. Yeah, I love So there's a problem waiting for me to solve also at the same time, I, I came across an older guy who had a conversation. He said, Al, every big problem has a financial benefit to the solution. Mm. Every problem. He says, you just need to position yourself so that you capture some of the benefit, the financial benefit of solving that problem. So that was heavy on my heart, heavy on my mind. And like, okay, I'm just, so you see, I'm putting it all together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a landlord scientist. I'm going to use my creativity. I'm going to be the black James T. Kirk and boldly go 
where no one has gone before and seek out new income streams and expense reductions. I love it. I'm on mission and I've been on that mission. That's what sparks joy for me is doing that and sharing it with other people and making it very easy for them to understand that that they can do something because they have the exact same problem. So let's fast forward a little bit, Al, because this is this is all fascinating stuff. And I know this is already one of the best episodes for the books. It may it may go ahead and be the best episode. So we're gonna we're gonna try to crank out a, a few more nuggets. So so okay. let me ask you this. Somebody who's looking to get into this type of business model, somebody who's looking to get into the Airbnb space. Short term rental space, you mean? There you go. There you go. Short term rental space. <laughs> Somebody who's looking to get into that space, before I ask what's required of them, what do they need to have? What are the necessities? Let's first talk about who this can be for, because I think that's important as well, because this is not for everybody, would you say? No, first, it's got to be someone who likes people that works the best. Yeah. I've seen those personality types. So you've got to be interested in hospitality. And I think, but it puts so your business is in alignment with your personality. So I always recommend that. Okay. If you're a number person only, then, you know, that's probably not for you. Okay. Gotcha. So it's more of a, Hey, like you're going to be interacting with people. It's more of a relationship type business. As many real estate businesses are, people just don't know that. That's exactly right. Got it. So what about as far as time? Is it, is it time intensive? What, What can somebody expect to kind of have to dedicate to a business like this? So if you are doing stays of 30 days and less and, which could be very appropriate if you're in a, in a, on, next to a beach you know, or a ski resort area. That could be very appropriate. That might be the highest, best use of, of that resort type of property. Then it's going to be very time intensive until you get your systems in place. And then until you- Say that, say that one more time now so the, so the it's, listeners could- can It's hear. time intensive until you get your systems in place. I love that. That is gold for any and every business that you guys start. People like Al, people like me, we make it simple, right? We make it very, very simple, but the process in itself is not easy. So it's a, there's a lot of consistency involved. As I can imagine in your business, Al, there's a lot of consistency involved and there's a lot of grunt work involved. There's a lot of grunt work, especially front-loaded grunt work. But once you start learning the tools of the trade, once you've had some experience and you start learning some of the processes and systems you could implement, that's when things get easier, just like any other business. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're teaching here with this model, right? That's exactly right. And also to add to that, since I was too cheap to pay anyone to help me, it was unnecessarily time intensive. Yeah. So, so, I, so I think yeah. you mentioned that before the call. Was it at 2014 was when you decided to hire your first mentor? Yeah, that's when I, I started. It was an informal mentor, but I actually started paying a thousand dollars a month in um, 2018 for, okay. for mentorship. Tell me why. Tell me what your thought process behind that. I know we're jumping ahead, but I, but I, yeah, yeah. Well, I realized as an employee to advance, you go get degrees, you go get certificates. That's how you advance, you know, then you get your master's degree, then they'll open the door and let you be whatever, even in government, get get certificates. But if you're an entrepreneur, the way you advance, is not by degrees. No one cares about your MBA. If you're an entrepreneur, you have to go get mentoring. Now, every high performer has a coach. You know, I mean, Al, you've been doing every this little thing. You've been doing this for years. What do you need a mentor for? Like, you know, you know your business front and back. Why would you possibly need a mentor? Because I know my business front and back, and I can't. Ev- <laughs> That's all I can see. I have blind spots. I so have blind your, spots that that I can't get to. Is your mentor an Airbnb expert or an Airbnb wizard, or do they do they know nothing about Airbnb, but they can help you all the same? They know nothing about it. I'm the expert in that, but the structures and the introductions 
and being around other people who have larger businesses than mine and understand how they make decisions and how they have a different financial blueprint than mine. You know, they saved me so many years. For example, this is one of my favorite techniques in learning. It's it's an informal mentoring, but I go on these cruises with um, different groups. And if you look for me, you would find me right sitting right next to the oldest, widest guy I could find and just being his buddy. And they're happy to share with you, you know, 80 years worth of learning and to, to help you advance your business. But then when you start paying, so that's informal, but paying for mentorship puts you very accountable to, if you're a business owner, like I need to get, if I'm spending a thousand, I need to make 3000 from the people this advice needs to help me make 3000 So it's not the cost of it, it's the margin. And there's just a different mindset. Stop thinking about the cost of things. Start thinking about the margin that it makes you, just like a bank does. A bank doesn't oh, wow. say, I got to pay 1% to this, for this deposit. The bank says, I can turn around, take their money and make, I pay them 1%. I go loan it out at 6%. Sounds right? like the drug dealers in the streets as well. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. I love it. So there's some pretty, pretty smart people around. And, and again, this, these are things, these are time-tested strategies, right? These are things that a lot of us think that just doesn't make any sense. Why would I go pay somebody when I'm trying to be financially free? Like I'm just going backwards. But the people who are successful, we're not doing it because we're crazy, right? Doing it because there's obviously value there. And again, you talk about the return and I look at it as an investment. Every single time I pay for a mentor or coach, it's an investment, right? Because I know that there's going to be a return on that value. But if you look at it as an expense, well, you show up a lot differently. Not only are you going to get less value, but you're going to get less value because of the way that you're showing up because you, you look at it as an expense, right? So the same things you could have gleamed or heard in, in that mastermind group or uh, with that one-on-one coach, you could hear those same exact things and they're not going to affect you the same way because of how you're looking at that investment or because of how you're looking at that expense. So I love that that's how you're kind of framing it. That's amazing. Derek, can I add a, add a little bit to that? Because you hit it, but I want to confess something. Yeah. I want to confess that I was paying and I, I was waiting for it to happen to me. But when I took the mindset of being a learner, that it was up to me to implement this, what I was being taught, because they were giving it to me and I was surrounding myself. But if I'm not engaging with them all the time and trying to make something out of it, I was just getting a lot of good information. So that's that's what changed it. That's part two. (laughs) Yeah. When I'm being a mentor and I'm being a, I'm getting mentorship and I'm being a learner, an active learner to do something with it. And I, I go back to my mentor. Okay, I did that. Now what? Now, I, I did all those things, now what? And then helping other people in as well with it. Yeah. So that is how you get the most return out of your mentorship is you have to squeeze the potential out of your mentor. You can't just be passive. Yep. Yeah. I love that. So so let's kind of fast forward. Since we're already, we kind of just jumped into 2018 all of a sudden. Let's kind of, let's kind of fast forward a little bit and let's talk. Again, we're still on the, on the track to where there's, there's a few people out there who are like, hey, I want to get started with short-term rentals. And I just don't know if it's for me. I don't know if I have the time, which we just covered time. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about money as well. What kind of strategies are people pursuing? Because I think you broke down four different categories for me before the call. Does each of these categories that you broke down, and you'll break it down here shortly, but do each of these categories 
have a different minimum, let's just call it buy-in for, for right now, right? So, yeah. you know, some people are, are doing rental arbitrage. Some people are, are maybe buying investment properties. Like, so kind of walk me through the, the four different ways to go about this business and what maybe the, the startup capital would, would, uh, would cost for them. Okay. I'd love to. But let me start with this, is that it costs, it takes money to start this, yep. no matter what you're doing. But it does not have to be your money. That's the key. That's the key. And I think you touched on that with your audience. You groomed your audience to understand that there are a lot of people who have self-directed retirement accounts doing nothing that will be happy to fund your business. So that's, that's one different model you can talk to. You got to open your mouth, <laughs> use your tongue, use your feet. You got to get up behind your computer to talk to people and you have all the money you need. The next thing is if you have a rental property, then if you have a duplex, then one of them should be a short-term rental. You know, every landlord needs to have some type of, it's crazy I have to say this, every landlord needs to have an internet strategy for their business. Mm. Wow. Why do I have to say that? Every business needs an internet strategy, even landlords. Everybody needs an internet strategy. Else, what we know is going to happen it happens, it's, it's predictable what's going to happen if you don't have an internet strategy for your business. Because look at the blockbusters. We can just look at the Sears going, JCPenney, all these things. All right? So yeah. listen, okay, I'll move on. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go on a big so old right. tangent. I feel so right. You need an internet business. So if you are a regular landlord, part of your portfolio, just for diversification's sake, should have a short-term rental um, in it. All right. So, and then people who don't have any property starting from nothing broke can do rental arbitrage. Mm. Okay. Let's get the, that? that rental arbitrage just means you, you find someone else's rental okay. and, and you rent it from them. You control it by, by renting a lease agreement and you work out all the sub leasing um, restrictions. You work it out just like you would work out um, no pets. It's the same Thou shalt not sublease is not part of the Ten Commandments. It's real estate. Everything's negotiable. So you work out subleasing. You put your furniture in their place, and then you use an online platform to attract people. The goal is to, if the expense is $1,000 a month, all your expenses, rent and everything, that you're bringing in two, $3,000 of income. Mm -hmm. So you bring in the income, you pay the landlord, you pay your expenses, and you keep the rest. But... What's specific about rental arbitrage is that you don't keep the maintenance expenses. Those go to the owner of the property. Just like regular landlords, regular tenant landlord relationship, if the water heater is broken, you talk to the landlord, they, they pay for that. So it's a very protected way of earning a cash flow stream without the maintenance of it. Oftentimes people who are doing rental arbitrage are making more net income than the owner of the property. Yeah. So that's how that, that goes. It's, and again, it's a marketing business like we talked about before. So if with that market, it takes the risk out of doing that. With that specific model, and we don't have to drill down too much into it, but with that specific model, there's almost no startup costs, right? I mean, it's less than $5,000 is what I would say. Like first month's rent, last month's rent. Like if, if this is something that you're truly considering, right? And right. maybe marketing costs. And furnishings. And furnishings, of course. Well, well right. so, so maybe, maybe you're looking at, so it's still under 10K. Oh, absolutely. But it doesn't have to be your 10K. Yep. Gotcha. That's, awesome. You can arbitrage the money to do rental arbitrage. Absolutely. That's awesome. the, the larger way of, if we're really wearing our banker's hat, if we're really wearing our banker's hat, we're going to arbitrage the money. We're going to borrow the money to do rental arbitrage. I love it. So that's why they're so smart. 
let's kind of paint the final picture for people when it comes to just what a whole deal looks like from beginning to end. It can be okay. an example that we just kind of walked through. It can be a real yeah. life scenario. But what does a typical deal look like for somebody who's just getting started? Like from the cost of the property, or it may, there may not be any cost if they're, they're doing rental arbitrage, but how much they're, they're paying to acquire the property, what the average rents are, when they can expect all of their, when they could expect 100% returns, and kind of just walk through like one specific scenario from beginning to end so that we kind of have a big picture. 30,000. Okay. Well, let me tell you about um, Justin. He's in Virginia Beach. I got lots of stories. So he, he was doing a, let's do a rental arbitrage example. So Justin used to sell things on Amazon. He knows how to get things and furnishings and clean it up and, and sell it. So he did a lot of that. So he's about, Justin's 24 and college and everything. Now he's, you know, he was trying to find a, a place to rent from him to rent a place. And he found an apartment complex in Virginia Beach. And this is just after the hurricane went through too. So he was trying before and trying after hurricane and they had a place on the third floor of this building that was kind of not popular because there was no elevator third floor. So he talked to the management company on site. It was a big complex and told them what he was going to do. He's going to start his rental corporate housing company and kind of follow one of my scripts, start your corporate housing company. And they had him fill out the application and they agreed and said, Hey, we, we haven't problems renting this unit anyway. Why don't you have this? He kept his furnishing costs way low because he knows how to hustle. He knows how to make things look nice for a little bit of money. Always telling people, no, this is not HDTV. You do not go spend $20,000 on furnishings and pictures and artwork and everything. Just keep your costs down. So he borrowed his security deposit, which is $1,000. And he came up with the first month's rent, which is, is around $1,100. And then he kept his furnishing costs really, really low because he was hustling to keep his furnishings down, sheets and everything. And he started listing it on Airbnb. Now for, he was doing you know, two weeks stays until he can get enough reviews and he started doing one month stays, the, the extended stay version. Now, Justin was able to break even in three months. He's able to pay off his initial startup costs, break even in three months by doing that uh, type of thing. And Management company's happy with him and how he's operating and offering him more places. So he can expand. He's been doing this for about eight months now. He's looking at a second one, but he can expand indefinitely. <laughs> Not indefinitely, but he can expand because he's got his cleaners in place. He's got his systems worked out. He's in an apartment complex where they're offering him more places. So he is now at a point where he can write his own ticket. If he can come up with money and break even in three months, you can... That's pretty much making money out of thin air now. So it's very, very doable, very, very quickly with using the tools, the artificial intelligence, such as these online platforms, Airbnb, but even better, getting uh, using those in addition to getting up behind the computer and, and talking to people, uh, businesses that are, are in the community that may have a training program, whether training new employees or uh, bringing in people all the time and helping those businesses save money is a super is put yourself where you can expand just to keep up with their demand yeah, and that's where you want to be i love it i love it i love it and man we've we've covered a lot and i have a few few questions i kind of want to get to before we we get to the last and final section of our call because i know there are a lot of there are a lot of nagging areas when it comes to airbnb or when it comes to short-term rentals one of those is laws and regulations 
seems as though they're they're cracking down every second. There's something in the news. There's a new law. There's a new rule. In some counties, in some cities, in some states, it's not even allowed. It's outlawed. What should we know going in? How should we do our research? And how can we make sure that we're putting our best foot forward when it comes to laws and regulations? Well, there's two things. You can just simply Google uh, short-term rental laws in the name of your city, and you're going to find out what your city ordinance is. In most cities, well, every city that I've and I've traveled the country looking at different ordinances, define short-term rentals as stays less than 30 days and less. And they're oftentimes looking to put a, a transient tax on them so that it turns it into a revenue source. So if it's 30 days and less, what happens on the 31st day? If you get, if you're renting for 31 days and longer, what happens then? All those ordinances don't apply. So that's another reason I only focus on extended stays. Sweet spot. So city called me, my city, Sacramento, called me and said, hey, we see you don't have a license and you're advertising on Airbnb. You need a license. And I said, well, your ordinances say 30 days and less. That's how you define it. That means I don't need a license. And they said, yeah, I guess you're right. But will you please add a note to your listing saying that it's for 30 days or longer? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. Have a nice day. Yeah, have a nice day. That's it. I love it. And you tackled that with your model in less than two minutes. Now, I know that, so, so for the people who have shorter term rentals, just as general advice, and again, we're not attorneys, we're not lawyers, and you know, definitely consult people about this, but for general advice, like those people who live in those cities and they have those city ordinances, like there's, there's no way around it. No, 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 there's no way around it. You, you definitely want to do everything with high integrity so that you can build wealth, first of all, and keep it. <laughs> so just yep. do it with high integrity and price it in to your model. Yep. That's probably Absolutely. key is, is making sure that you price it in is probably the biggest thing. If, if they're yeah. adding a transient tax, then, or maybe even distributing that tax, like um, pushing off that tax to the guests. Is that something that people are doing now in the space? Oh, yeah. You have to. One thing you should know if you're, what, as Airbnb tries to go public, they're trying to get more users so for their, their number count up. To get more transactions, they encourage you to lower your prices. So you find yourself into this race to the bottom. Because because they need the only way they get paid is if there's a transaction happening, and you can quickly find yourself like in Atlanta when the Super Bowl was happening. I had a lot of clients that says we're going to clean up. You know, we got the Super Bowl coming. We're going to make a whole two months worth of income. But Airbnb is so good, it's so easy to follow. People flooded the market. New hosts flooded the market and drove oh the down into the toilet. Wow. Nobody made any money. Wow. Kept cutting prices of each other and taking it down. People don't even think about that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's what you can be subject to as, as this thing becomes more mainstream. I mean, some estimates are only 20% of the population in the United States even knows has even heard of Airbnb. Yep. So it's got a long ways to, to grow and it's become even easier to do one, two night stays. Cities are going to be making a lot more money on that. So all those things are great. I mean, and factor in your time because yep. you don't want a bad, you know, just like anything, a bad review can take you out. I love that. Take you out and, money. and speaking of time and wrapping up this segment with one last, hopefully one last and final question, maybe one and a half, but speaking of time, we talked earlier and I'll just kind of want to circle back to this conversation where we talked about the front end work and front loading a lot of the work and eventually having a streamlined process. What are some of the tools or maybe apps that you're using in your business today, you're teaching your students or your clients to use to streamline some of the processes of managing their Airbnb rental units or their short-term rental units? That's a great question. And the answer is 
a checklist that counts down how long before that person moves out. At, at certain times in those checklists, you start different marketing activities, and then you hand that checklist off to a virtual assistant to run. So just like in the book called Traction, if you ever heard of Traction, it has a scorecard. So using a checklist that you that you worked out your systems, you, you know, you're always proactive on getting your next tenant and also proactive on quality assurance and asking for Yelp reviews and all those types of things that help you make money. You hand that over to a virtual assistant so they're doing something every single day, every single day. And, and, since, and my students get an email once a day from their virtual assistant. If everything on there is green, you know, color-coded email, everything's green, you don't have anything to do that day, mm-hmm. nothing. Just open the email. That's the amount of work you have to do. I guess this would be, this would be a, a B part of that question. What are some of the things that the virtual assistant would be in charge of? So the checklist is, is to make sure you're posting on, you're updating your calendars because Airbnb and other websites like current calendars. So that's a frequent thing you do to improve your search engine optimization of those websites. Also having conversations with people on Facebook, you need to have that going, your presence encouraging people to leave Yelp reviews independent of these other things so that you can be independent of these other websites because you want to create your own online property, you know, updating your own website that needs to be done, scheduling cleaners and and following up with with cleaners. Do that. That's very, very important. You want to make sure that starts, you know, 10 days ahead. Hey, um, we we need, we got to move out and move in, you know, so so that's why, uh, you know, if you're doing well, short-term stays again, you're going to either be really on your cleaner because cleaner can make or break you. Yep, of course. And making sure you have that, have someone booked and ready to go as far as a cleaner is really, really important. And the cleaners are the same people that are also replacing all of the things that need, like replacing like the toilet paper and things like that. Yes. Gotcha. Yep, gotcha. they're the ones so, doing, doing that. So you're not outsourcing, sure you're, you're having people that you've trained. Oh, absolutely. Gotcha. Okay. You got absolutely. Not only do they clean, they also need to stage your place as well. These cleaners aren't cheap because these cleaners are full, full on like, hey, we handle every single aspect of the on the ground portion of your Airbnb business. Yep. They can do even that. And some can even change the the digital code on your locks. You know, you can have all that stuff type of done so that, and how do they do that? They work off a checklist. Yeah. So if there's anywhere to spend money, it's it's making sure that you get top-notch cleaners rather than going with the, hey, $40 cleaners, just so they clean the property. You want to spend money on your cleaners. You do. And you want to pass that off to your guests as much as you can, as much as your market allows you to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so I encourage that the, your cleaning, ideally you should, you should step on it with $5 or so. Make sure it's a profit center for yourself because you, you need to pay yourself. You need to make sure that not only do you have a cleaner, but you have someone that goes and checks up behind the cleaner. Mm, so like a manager per se, like a property manager. Yeah. Or so, anybody that, that, that goes and, and does a, a, your quality control check behind them because sometimes pillowcase liners are not underneath pillowcases and, and, and things aren't set right. And you want that first impression when you walk in, it needs to smell good and all those types of things that you want your, your guests to experience. So that's super important. That's where people fall down. I think you've talked about, or you've had guests talk about the follow-up. The follow-up is, is everything. And you got to put that system in place that you have someone come, someone different, different set of eyes, different set, different nose comes in and sees what their first impression is and uh, before the guest comes and does that. So that. all that stuff is, is a lot of details, right? Yep. But and, it's and- all, I like it on a checklist versus an app. 
because I, I can modify it and I have virtual assistants running it and they cost $3.50 an hour and I usually schedule two hours a day for them. So seven hours a day in background gives me all these things, roll everything, cleaners and everything rolls up into, is it green on, do I get a page full of green? If I do, that's it. I'm done for the day. I love it. I love it. Al, this has been a wealth of information. I feel like we've just had a master class <laughs> on short-term rental. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of washing off all the information I just learned. I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to this episode two or three times, but now we, we have the system in place and we've kind of started with the beginning of your journey in the middle of your journey. Let's talk about present day and let's put this bow on this conversation. Okay. What are you up to these days and, and what's your focus? I know that you have your real estate business and now you have this educational platform and, and, and you have your family, which is a major part of your life. And we discussed that thoroughly before the call. So what does your day look like? What are you actually managing and what are you actually, you know, giving off to different team members? Just walk me through a typical day of yours. Okay. So the story goes, I, I had some friends who owned a LLC. They owned some commercial property, a really nice corner lot, but they didn't have any money to improve it. It's a mixed-use building, and it's, it's got a possibility for some of half of it to be demo, demoed and go up four stories, and it has four apartments and commercial space. So I did a debt assumption for 50% of it, and just writing them a note, a real estate note, did that, an IOU, no money on my pocket to Love take it. on responsibility 50% of that, and then I use money that I raised from other people to improve the, the apartments. So I'm working on that. And I'm going to take those, so no money out of my pocket, and I'm going to make those ex extended stay rentals on top, these apartments, and the cash flow from those units is going to be able to pay my lenders, my private lenders, and my share of the, the mortgage, the monthly mortgage. Then we're going to do a, get the full plans for, I got to tell you, this place is on Broadway. I mean, I know you're a Monopoly guy, and you know I'm trying to put a hotel on Broadway, right? I love it. There we go. <laughs> so, so I'm getting plans for the demolition of the back half so, and going up four stories with apartments that can be converted into extended stay rentals. So, and this is all commercially zoned, mm. and there is no, on our street in, in Broadway, all up and down this boulevard in Sacramento, there is no hotel on Broadway. So without any money on my pocket, I'm trying to create a, I'm overseeing the construction of a hotel on Broadway. Basically. Wow. That's, that's what I do during the day. And I check my email to see if everything's green. And then I got time to uh, write and think and go to music lessons and volunteer classrooms and do my Bible studies and that type of thing. Work out too. I love that. What about the educational aspect of, of your business and also family? So educational, as I usually go and I, and I speak to different groups, different real estate related groups about short term rentals and my coaching program, I introduced this concept of extended stays and, and for specifically for corporate users only, extended stay for corporate users only. And I coach people on how to do that, the marketing aspects and how to get set up start to finish. So that's, that's typically a travel like once a month usually a day of travel, a day of speaking, and I fly on back. So that part of the day, and, and then um, I have you know online communities just like yourself. I do group coaching, and all that's very, very enjoyable. Inside the group, You after you get your stuff going, then you kind of become a coach of other people. And again, that's another system of, of replacing myself by growing coaches inside the community that are very enthusiastic and, and learning from teaching other people. 
So it doesn't all that like stuff wraps it wraps around a very enjoyable life. The family that. stuff, the family stuff. Well, I'm home. I'm not commuting. I am able to help um, move kids around, take them to dance lessons and things like that. Take the trash out on Fridays. That's very important. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, you mentioned talking. You mentioned that you have certain advantages over other parents before the call, and that you are able to participate in things that you're that you want to participate in, which are which your daughter's lives. And I think that's. That's amazing, right? And that's the type of freedom that we're all looking to achieve and aspire to get. And with your business model, you're able to do that. So I think that's beautiful. One thing that that this just comes to mind is your marketing funnel for your Airbnb or your your short-term, see, I got to get used to it. Your marketing funnel for your short-term rentals, it doesn't sound like you're actively on the market looking for new properties. Is that the case? So there's properties I own and then there's properties that are arbitrage with my corporate housing company. And we're regular because because we make them sparkle for the, you know, especially when we're doing, we're renting someone else's place and converting that into a rental arbitrage. We're making that place look really, really nice. And the owners are thrilled and they're sharing that with their people in their, in their circles, which makes other people ask us to take over their places. So your primary marketing tool is word of mouth. A word of mouth. At this point, we don't need to. In fact, this point with the cash flow from these, from these rental arbitrages is what's helping support this uh, hotel on Broadway. Mm. So you can see the arbitrages are funding more things so that, let me back you up. So banks, if we were a bank, we would not be running out of money or looking for, or kind of, we'd be advertising what we do. Banks advertise, but they don't run out of money. You know, that's part of the laws of abundance is that you advertise what you're doing, but you never say, I can't do something or I can't afford it because there's plenty of money. You just have to talk to people. Mm -hmm. So sharing the story of what I'm doing is part of the education process. But the, the fact is, if you're doing this, if you're trying to create value, you don't have to worry about money. You just got to get people a um, relationship with what, if you told a bank not to go into debt, right? They, that's what they do. They do this transaction. They do this arbitrage with people deposit money. They turn around and they put it to higher, better use. So, so you're, they're, but they're not in a negatively leveraged debt. So the conversation goes, get rid of your negatively leveraged debt. But positively leveraged debt, you got to be a little more sophisticated. You want all that just like a bank does. You want to be in positively leveraged debt in a low risk situation with cash reserves. So that's another another long conversation we're going to have to have. Of course, of course, we got to bring you back on. Yeah, we got, we got, we definitely got to bring you back on. This has been an amazing episode, and I, I know that there, there's so much more we could dive into. There's so much more we could talk about. It's one of those things to where we align in so many places. And you said it before the call. It's like there's so many things that that I'm starting to do. You've done before, and you're just kind of leading the pack and leading the way. So I'm learning a lot. I know the listeners have as well. So let's get to the last and final round of our show, and this round is called our lifestyle design acceleration hacks. Oh, I like that to get our listeners on their way. Smart. So Alex, if you're ready for question number one, I'm going to hit you with it. Bring it. All righty. Question number one. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? That'd be this Lateral Thinking by Edward Bono. That would definitely be, that's the fundamental thing that shifted me. And then No Money Down by Charles Allen, I believe it is. Oh, Charles yeah. Allen. Yeah, early on, those things, those books shifted what I thought was possible. I love that. And I'm definitely checking out those Edward books because he sounds like a fascinating man to, uh, yeah. to learn from. So that's amazing. Question number two, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. 
I like something called Think Up. It's a, you record affirmations and they have play music in the background. But the thing is, whether we like it or not, our subconscious is being programmed. If we're neutral, it's being programmed. But when we take control of programming our subconscious ourselves by, by having what you aspire to be going for you, it allows, you know, our subconscious, what, is about 30,000 times more powerful than our conscious mind. And it has the final say, no matter what you're trying to do, your subconscious can sabotage you or it can help you. So programming my subconscious is using the Think app, Think Up app. I have uh, Bible verses and also inspirational quotes and some quotes I, I tell myself that, you know, don't sound so crazy anymore after I've heard them. I play it in my car. Instead of music, I play Let That Go. I played on uh, plane rides, let that go. You just want it going on in the background because you're absorbing information on the background, messages all the time. Take control of your subcontract. I love that. I love that. And quick story. Uh, I know we're going over time. Quick story about the Think Up app. I discovered this app maybe about a year and a half ago, and I was just trying to Google different ways to be more efficient to, again, going back to how we love systems, systems and processes. I was like, I need a way to have my affirmations read to me every single day at a certain time and things like that. So I found the app and the first person I recommended to was one of my mentors. My mentor is a very influential person in the online business space, and he told a ton of different people, his friends, which who are all influencers, and I always feel to this day like I had some some small major impact on that app and helping get that app to a whole ton, a whole lot of people just by recommending it to my mentor and him just recommended it to like all the people in his influence. But I love That's that. amazing. Well, maybe yeah. I should thank you. Because I got it, from a, I got it from a recommendation from a friend, and I would never have known it. So, thank well, you for sharing something like that. That's that's amazing. Of course, well, yeah, that definitely would have been cool if that's how we kind of drew the web. So, awesome, awesome, awesome! I love that. Listeners, check that app out. It's called the Think Up app, and it's simply amazing for just listening to your affirmations. And you can use it for a ton of different things. But I think that the way that Al and I kind of discuss how to use it is perfect. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? A time freedom for sure time freedom and knowing that the things I really enjoy don't cost any money at all. You know, time with the kids, time reading a book, a jog, forcing myself to do something that's scary. The things that really, really spark joy are just are solving a riddle. So with free time and then the things I enjoy don't cost anything that puts me in a life of abundance. So I really, really like that. I love that. I love that. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? You know, letting go of the significance that you need, that you get when you're an employee with a fancy job title. You gotta let that go. You gotta let go of the feeling that I might be disappointing my parents because I'm walking away from, I'm not using my master's degree in engineering anymore. But it's something that got me there, but your education should not limit you. So if you got trained in one thing, it's okay to, to transcend that. So I had to work through that process. So those are some of the things I struggled with and had to work through. I love it. I love it. I love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? You know, that one gentleman, James Williams, at the church picnic, who started the whole thing off there we with, go. with cornering me and, and sharing with me what worked. I credit that. It's like when you're getting married or there's your newborn baby is put in your hands. Those are some big transitional moments for you. Yeah. So having, being in the, you know, being surrounded by someone who's further down the line than me 
at that point in time is was a was a big blessing. That's awesome. Does he does he know what you've been up to for the past twenty years, thirty years? Uh, he's passed now, but yeah, he oh. knew I was taking off on it. I would repeatedly thank him for when he was alive. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I feel like imposter even answering that question because I have my own head trash and I'm working through. Okay. Let me say that I can't speak from a, I didn't go from a straight line. I often had to get through several different tests that to get morally right, you know, to get your head right. And then other people speaking into your life, you have to get through that. And it's outside of your comfort zone, right? That saying what you want is outside of your comfort zone. So I feel like I don't even feel qualified to even answer that question, but I could tell you why I got stuck and why I always recommend other people to, what I share to my tribe is, is that you don't, you should not wait for a disaster before you tap into your greatness. We all know under difficult situations, we have the capacity. So let's start using that capacity now, if you can, but figure out a way to, like, I make these bold claims online to motivate me to get out of my capacity. Like I'm sharing with you, I'm going to create a hotel on Broadway. So there's no turning back now. Yeah, there we go. You're committed. I love that. We're yeah, all gonna yeah. we're all gonna hold you accountable. <laughs> yep, there we go. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Al, like I said, this has been amazing. I've had so much fun on this podcast episode. It's one of the best yet today. I cannot wait to get this out to the listeners. As the exit music kind of starts playing and chiming in, if you want to get uh, get these two questions in, yeah, just do it. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. So I'm going to ask them both in a tandem just so we can have a quick rapid fire for both of them. But my last two questions that I didn't get to get in during the interview for all of you guys who are still listening towards the end of this interview are as such. How do you pay yourself for your time? That was one. And then the other one was you mentioned travel agencies, and I thought that was a really interesting subject to cover. How do they play a part in the whole big picture with your short-term rental business? So if you could answer those for us as the outro music plays, that would be amazing. So I, I pay myself, uh, this might be a little bit off, but I pay myself through an S-Corp. That's how I do it. I take my real estate money. I put my S-Corp manages my real estate. I almost don't even want to interrupt you because I know this is probably like really, really good information for the listeners. <laughs> but but I know me, that, focus but, me with the question. Yeah, yeah. First and foremost, you said that most most managers, property managers don't pay themselves. Airbnb hosts don't pay most themselves Airbnb for the time, don't factor themselves. I, I recommend that they, they consider themselves, pay them the same rate that they would pay a handyman. It could be $35 an hour, but assume that in your thinking, and then assume if, if I can get a person at $3.50 virtual assistant doing it instead of me doing it. So you need to have that going in your head so that you force yourself out of stay in your genius zone and, and get rid of all the other stuff. Got you. Got you. So, and the reason you do this is not only so you can know what to work on in your business and what to delegate, but also because it's very important to practice that habit, right? It's very important right. to put yourself in your business. You are the sole, if not the sole, you are the primary employee of the business and there is no business without you. So you need to take care of yourself. That's um, exactly right. That's kind of where I was going down. But now that you've opened up the other kind of worms, which is how to technically pay your Yourself, I think you could go. You should, you should probably go ahead and finish that for our listeners. So I formed an S Corp. It has me as my wife as employees. It takes our real estate. It manages our real estate and all anything I sell from my books and courses go to the S Corp. And then we get 
of course, our health care now is paid out of our S-Corp and uh, all those types of things, life insurance, all those things that would not be tax deductible are now tax deductible. And we are on a very small, tiny little salary and just the way the taxes go. So check into that when you grow into that. Yeah. So real quick, you mentioned something about travel agencies. So I was saying online travel agency, I lump Airbnb as an online travel agency. Mm, got there's you, got also, but they're just one, you know, bookings and Travelocity, all those things you can get into but if you grow to that level where you can pay them for their um, interface and things like that but that again the most profitable thing you can do is get out from behind your computer go down the street to the local business that's bringing in people all the time carry in a, some chocolates in a gift basket and talk to the office manager boom ladies and gentlemen deray here checking in really quick for you guys i know this has been a long episode but it's been such a jam-packed episode and i'm super super excited that you guys stayed until the end so i have a special gift for you guys if you head over to before the millions.com forward slash scientist that's before the millions.com forward slash scientist and you will be able to check out mr al williamson's course now this course covers literally everything that we discussed on today's show he's going to show you exactly how to start and build and grow and then run your profitable short-term rental business that's at before the forward slash scientist 